Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. I am greatly honored to introduce to you uh, Dr. Bill uh, William Thierfelder, um, who is the president of Belmont Abbey College in North Carolina. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the natures of history. You look at all the great figures in history, and they will do absolutely wonderful things for most of their life, but then it's the things that sort of they never expected that came on them and how they responded to it that very often is what makes them known. And I think in some ways Belmont Abbey College has experienced that over the last few years. We've all been a bit shocked and dismayed by the way the religious liberty, religious freedom threats have come on to Catholic institutions. Um, Belmont Abbey College was the first college to file, first institution anywhere, to file a lawsuit against the uh, HHS mandate, uh, the contraceptive mandate, uh, that hopefully now will go away under the new administration. Um, and also, even before that, was dealing with this issue when the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission came down on the college demanding that they had to include uh, contraceptives in their health care plan, uh, claiming that federal uh, sex discrimination law required it. Um, and that was never completely resolved, right? That was appealed back to the EEOC and it's, it's gone. Um, certainly moot because the, the faculty who filed the complaint are gone. So, um, but Belmont Abbey has stood very strong and it's, it's, um, it's part of the, the nature of the institution. It's a, it's a Benedictine, Catholic Benedictine institution founded in 1876 uh, down there in North Carolina where Today, there are far more Catholics than there used to be, but still not nowhere near a majority of the population, a very much a Bible Belt institution. And the Benedictines went down there in a missionary spirit um, and, and established the college. Uh, one of the things that I very much admire about, Benedict, or about uh, Belmont Abbey College is, is that uh, a, a very large number of the students are not Catholic but the institution is very Catholic and unapologetically so and, and proud to do so and uh, and so the students who come there even those who are not Catholic really embrace and and love the institution because of that uh, because they're not afraid to tout all these great benefits that we've already talked about that are available through a good strong Catholic education um, prior to his appointment as president of Belmont Abbey College uh, Dr. Thierfelder uh, led and transitioned the York Barbell Company from a manufacturer to a uh, solutions-based partner uh, providing sales, marketing, and product development uh, to mass merchants and major sporting goods retailers throughout the U.S. and Europe. Uh, he was also a principal in the Joyner Sports Medicine Institute and served as executive director of the Player Management Group. Uh, he's helped thousands of athletes, including many at the Olympic and professional levels, achieve dramatic improvements in their athletic performances. 
He received his master's and doctoral degrees in sports psychology and human movement from Boston University. He's a licensed psychologist uh, and a former NCAA Division I coach, national champion, and two-time All-American from the University of Maryland. Uh, Dr. Thierfelder is also an inductee in the Sports Faith International Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think he'll maybe talk a little bit about that, but Dr. Thierfelder, if he doesn't get into that today, does a great job of talking about the value of leadership through sports um, and, and, uh, and how it, it actually helps with, with faith development and virtue development. Uh, he's the author of Less Than a Minute to Go, The Secret to World-Class Performance in Sport, Business, and Everyday Life. And he's a Knight of Malta and lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife, Mary, and their 10 children. Outstanding. Title of his talk today is Ex Corde Ecclesiae Beyond the Classroom. I was asked to just make a quick mention. Uh, Dr. Thierfelder, toward the end of his presentation, has a video. And uh, they said that there seems to be a slight little delay with the, uh, you know, the voice and, and what you'll see on there. So just don't be distracted by it. Uh, you'll, you'll get the point quite clearly. Thank you. Well, first of all, North Carolina is mission territory. I think uh, it's about 4% Catholic, the whole state of North Carolina. Charlotte's a little bit higher, but we are definitely still mission territory. Um, I'd also say that I, I must be the, the diversity speaker. Uh, and why I say that is, I looked at the list of people. We got, you know, Dr. George Horn here, and you had, you know, Father Sean and so forth. I mean, I went to the University of Maryland. They told me when I got there, my major was eligibility. Okay, so, so I must be the non-scholar, you know, that they ask, just for a little difference, you know, to kind of lighten things up maybe after lunch. And so uh, I'll start off by saying that God uses the most inadequate instruments to accomplish his will, so there'll be no mistaking his will. Um, so he has placed me here for whatever reason he has, uh, and so here I am, and uh, God willing, the Holy Spirit will deliver something to you. I am going to use sport today towards the later part of my address. Um, as just one example, just one example of how, what, what do we mean by beyond the classroom? And I'm going to use it in a very specific way in some detail because I think sometimes when we talk about this, these things at a very high level, it can just sound like a bunch of words, it all sounds very noble and good, but like what the heck do you really mean? You know, what, what are the real differences? So I was asked today uh, to expand on the importance of extracurricular activities and the cultivation of virtue with a special focus uh, on a Catholic college's mission of intentional formation. That was an important part of this, intentional formation of its students in mind, body, and spirit. In other words, we're talking about more than just career preparation. However, this assumes that everyone understands and appreciates the differences between a Catholic and a secular college. Now, I know in this room, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the proverbial choir, okay? So I, I know that most of you know the difference between a Catholic and a secular college, but I'm gonna go through a few things here because one, we can be lulled into it uh, and, and fall in some of the details sometimes and get lost in the weeds, or we have friends or relatives or family or wherever they might be um, who are not going to understand the difference between a Catholic, Catholic and secular college. And I thought I would just sort of if you'd bear with me, elaborate on a few of those things. Um, unfortunately today, the popular understanding of a college or university's purpose, uh, including Catholic ones, is to get a job, and preferably a high-paying one. 
And inevitably, I will hear a parent say to me, well, what is our return on investment? You know, um, seriously, you hear this all the time now. Um, now, a high-paying job may be very desirable and good, but is that all we should be expecting from an education? Is it sufficient for a good and happy life? So before addressing beyond the classroom, I hope you'll indulge me for a few minutes by allowing me to set before you the most basic reasons for choosing a Catholic college in the first place. Well, if you believe God exists, and most people do, one of the first questions to answer is, why did God make you? Now, anybody who's as old as me or maybe older, right? The answer almost leaps into your mind because it comes from the Baltimore Catechism, right? Why did God make you? God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven, right? Okay. Very simple. And the Catholic Church provides this simple answer to us, you know, and, and so we look at it, we think about it. Isn't that nice? You know, it sounds like it's for little kids, maybe. Um, but perhaps a more sophisticated and highly educated audience, uh, the answer does seem too childlike. But is it true? If so, do we know him? How do we know him? Do we love him? In what ways are we loving him? How are we serving him? How are we serving our neighbor? Do we actually think about what it means to be happy forever in heaven? We get so caught up in today, you know, in all the things that we have going, this is the billionth of a second. Our lives are a flash. They're gone. They're faster than a blink of an eye. And then there's eternity, forever. Our finite minds grapple with the infinite, right? How do we even comprehend that? But it's forever. And we've been given a very simple answer as to why we were made. And if that's true, then that's the reason for everything, hopefully, that we do, and it's the reason we're sitting here actually even today. So how are we to know and love and serve God? Well, in Luke 10, 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you are correct. Do this and you will live. Again, these are such simple things, right? I mean, we have such complexity in our lives, all the things that we think about each day. Think of all the topics this morning that you heard and so forth. Come back to what's true and what's simple. Most, most truth is very simple, actually. That is what we're called to. So is this the foundation for every decision we make in everything we do? How should it influence our decisions? For example, purpose for me being here today and you being here today, how do we select a college? How do we make that decision? And certainly we should be looking for more and expecting more than just a good paying job. In St. John Paul II's Apostolic Constitution, which you've heard a lot about probably today, Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, um, he wrote, it is the honor and responsibility of a Catholic university to consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. To consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. I don't know how many secular schools you know. I don't care whether it's, I mean, Harvard has Veritas in its, in its motto, right? I don't know how many secular schools that you could say are actually consecrated to actually without reserve the cause of truth. A Catholic university is distinguished by its free search for the whole truth about nature, man, and God. The reason I emphasize that, 
how often are Catholic colleges and universities seen as somehow narrowly uh, you know, focused in some way? It's the secular ones that are broad, right, that take everything in. It's just the opposite. It's the Catholic colleges and universities that actually take it all in. They're, we're interested in the whole entire truth. I mean, there is nothing more than nature, man, and God. I mean, that's everything. And yet, that's not what we find in the, uh, in the secular institutions. We leave nothing out. He goes on, finally, I turn to the whole church, convinced that Catholic universities are essential to her growth and to the development of Christian culture and human progress. Now, I don't think St. John Paul II just picked out words out of the air. I think the words he chose were very specific. He chose them for a reason, and he used the word essential. It is essential we have air in this room, otherwise we're all going to die, right? I mean, it is essential. So what does he say about Catholic higher education? He's saying it is essential to her growth. The church cannot grow without Catholic higher education. That is an incredible statement. I don't know how many people have read that or think about it, but that, that's an incredible statement. And then he goes on to say, not just for the church, he's saying to the development of Christian culture and human progress. That's incredible. In a Catholic university, therefore, Catholic ideals, attitudes, and principles penetrate and inform all university activities. It is the same for each of us. Our Catholic faith should be permeating and informing everything that we do. The mission that the college, with great hope and trust to Catholic universities, holds a cultural and religious meaning of vital importance because it concerns the very future of humanity. Again, essential, vital. This is not a sidebar. This is not something, and you may say, well, why, am I, why am I going over this with you? It's because of the way that we're looking at higher education today in a very utilitarian kind of way. I'm not saying anybody in this room, but I can tell you very devout Catholics will say to me, yeah, but you know, Princeton, it's Princeton, so what? I mean, I think Princeton has a philosopher there that believes you can still kill a child after two years after they're born, right? I mean, so what are we talking about here? What kind of reputation are we, are we saying is important to have? So in listening to the words of St. John Paul II, what are we to make of the popular compulsion and drive for specialization in education at the exclusion of everything else? I was at a meeting earlier this week where Dr. John Cudaback, who some of you may know or have heard before, spoke about the value of the liberal arts, and he said, I really liked how he phrased this, so follow me on this, certain things are worthy in themselves. If you put what is worthy in itself first, then you will have all of the usefulness you could ever have imagined. If you seek what is worthy in itself, seek to understand it for what it is, and form an education that fits with the nature of the worthiness itself, you actually end up forming people to be more prepared to be useful than you possibly could have achieved had you set out to form them to be useful. That's a, we might have to go over that at the, after the talk, right? I mean, um, St. John Paul II wrote in Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. Faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word, to know himself, so that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth about themselves. So listen to the language being used, the words. You know, there was a famous philosopher by the name of Richard Weaver, and he had a phrase, you know, words have meanings, ideas have consequences. These words mean something that are being used. 
but fewer and fewer people are understanding what they mean. And the, the viciousness of this downward spiral is that fewer and fewer people are seeking out a place like a Catholic college, which has the wholeness of the truth, where they could come to understand these words. So the direction we're headed in right now is there's gonna be fewer and fewer people that can even understand what we're talking about today. Broadly speaking, what's the crisis in higher education? I think it's due to a growing self-idolatry, uh, which is replacing authentic love, and it's also due to a growing relativism, which is replacing faith and reason and our ability to know what is true. So that's not a pretty picture, but there is an antidote to this. And Pope Benedict, uh, actually his address here at Catholic University, he, when he was here, uh, he spoke to administrators, Catholic college presidents, and this is what he said, a university or school's Catholic identity is not simply a question of the number of Catholic students. It is a question of conviction. Do we really believe that only in the mystery of the word made flesh does the mystery of man truly become clear? Are we ready to commit our entire self, intellect and will, mind and heart to God? Doesn't that harken back to Luke 10, 25? How, how are we supposed to love God? With all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. Do we accept the truth Christ reveals? Is the faith tangible in our universities and schools? Now, when I say that, almost everybody, I'm not saying you, but almost everybody, when you say that, thinks, oh, you're saying, are you all praying there regularly? No, no, our faith that we're talking about here is this search for truth, the whole truth. So what we're talking about is this whole truth about nature, man, and God. Is that present in every aspect of our lives and of what's being taught at a Catholic college or university? Is it alive? So living our faith, seeking the truth, in no way precludes us from having a successful career or material goods. We need to reject the false dichotomy of needing to choose between either being faithful, seeking the truth, or successful. Therefore, there are no trade-offs to be made at a faithful Catholic college. You can have it all, the true, the beautiful, the good because a Catholic college encompasses all of it, inside and outside of the classroom. Secular institutions, on the other hand, offer a narrowly focused view of education and the person as one of only usefulness or specialization, which will limit them and their students from becoming all that God has called them to be. So how does this search for truth manifest itself beyond the classroom? Well, one way is that Catholic colleges should foster true friendships. Aristotle describes three types of friendships. The first two are accidental and based on utility and pleasure, but the third one is long-lasting and rare. It is based on the goodness each sees in the other, and both desire to help the other live a good life. They hope to see the goodness in the other grow. This type of friendship is done for the friend's sake alone, and this type of friendship should be evident among the students, faculty, and staff on every Catholic college campus. Certainly the significant number of good marriages among our alumni, most who met while attending Belmont Abbey College, and by the way, I'd say this is true of almost everybody I've talked to at the Newman schools, this, this tends to be true. Um, this is a proof of this long-lasting and rare friendship that occurs in a Catholic college or university. These rare friendships also comprise the greater community and are clearly present in student life through various ways students come together. Mass, sacraments, adoration and prayer, 
discussions of theology of the body and more. Uh, Focus, which is the fellowship of Catholic university students, if you're not aware of that. You know, they have Bible studies. I think we have close to 200 of our students just in Bible studies alone. Um, Catholic leadership programs, performing arts, theater, music, dance, clubs, study abroad, volunteer and charitable service, intramural activities, competitive sport, and more. The answer to the reason God made us and how we are to love God and each other should be present everywhere we look at a faithful Catholic college. Unlike secular colleges, which only see part of the person, the faithful Catholic college sees the whole person and recognizes the dignity and eternal nature of the soul. As St. John Paul II wrote, a Catholic college seeks the whole truth about nature, man, and God. Unfortunately, it is sometimes difficult to see any practical difference between a Catholic and a secular institution. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be one, but sometimes the Catholic institution adopts the secular approach in some way. One area where this is often seen and happens is in the world of sport. That's why I'm going to be using that today as my example. So the question is, how should we be understanding sport? How should, we be, how should it be engaged in at a Catholic college? Since I've experienced it, given my background as an athlete, a coach, I've worked in sports medicine, sports law, sports business, uh, yeah, I'm at, you know, college athletics, I, I've, I've dealt with every level. I've worked with professionals, Olympians, college, high school, youth, masters. I, I, I've covered it all. I don't know why God did that to me, but I, I have, so I have a really good perspective on it and how it should be working. Um, so I'm going to use sport as one way only of illustrating how any of the extracurricular activities at a Catholic college should differ from those at a secular college. And as with any activity, we should ask, is it worthy of our consideration? So again, I'm just using sport, but imagine anything I'm talking about in sport, extrapolating the way that I'm going to talk about this in terms of how you would look at any other activity. So sport and society, let's just look at the impact of sport on the world. It's incredible. It affects just about everybody. It affects economics, religion, politics. You know, even if you tell me you don't like sports, you get stuck in stadium traffic sometimes. I mean, directly, indirectly, you're going to be affected by sport. Um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, especially when you start looking at everything from equipment to TV rights to stadiums to concessions to betting, gambling. You wouldn't believe the amount of money spent on that on a yearly basis. Um, so the question then becomes, what, what, what's our view of sport today? And unfortunately, sport has become the poster child for vice. I mean, you see the seven deadly sins there. I mean, pride, anger, sloth, envy, greed. I mean, we, gluttony. We, we go through them all. They're all there in full display. And, and let me just give you this little caveat. I have worked with hundreds of professional athletes, especially in the NFL. Not one, every one of them, they, oh, they were all Christian. Every one of them was an incredibly good person. They were a great husband, a great father, a good person, served, served others. Here's the problem. And by the way, winners of Super Bowls, uh, first round picks. Uh, these, these are not, you know, obscure people who didn't make it. These are people who had like 13-year careers. You never hear about them. The only people you hear about are the people who have shot somebody, you know, a guy punching a woman, some kind of drug, some kind of cheating, some kind of immoral behavior. That is what we hear about, and that is why it has become the poster child for vice. And the problem is it's affected our whole culture. So what do we see? At the college level, we see the same kind of behavior and activities. We see it at high school. We see it even down to the youth level. So what's this supposed to mean? Because I'm saying it doesn't have to be this way. 
Part of the problem for Catholics in particular is they adopt one of two approaches to this. Somebody will say to me, well, yeah, Bill, gosh, I, I really, I, I don't like the immorality, I don't like the vulgarness, I, 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 you know, the language on the sidelines, I don't, I don't like any of that stuff, but you know, what are you going to do? It's, it's just the way it is. And so we go to the games, we do all the stuff, and we just keep the whole thing going, right? Then I got the other extreme. There's usually nobody in the middle, by the way. At the other extreme, I got those that say, I am disgusted by sport. It is terrible. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to look at it. As a matter of fact, if I could get rid of it, I would. And I am saying that both of those positions are untenable from a Catholic perspective. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, my approach to working with athletes has always been one of seeing them as a whole person because they are. Now, human beings, we like to put things in boxes. We like to compartmentalize things. So over here, we're going to do some mental things. Over here, we're going to do some physical things. And over here, we're going to do some spiritual things. Uh, for example, at the end of an NFL game, what do you see? If you watch it, a whole bunch of guys kneeling down in the middle of the field, holding hands, saying a prayer. This is fantastic. This is great. But if during the game, I'm cursing at you, trying to poke your eyes out and try to take your knee out, eh, there's a little disconnect for me, you know, between the fact we're going to pray afterwards. And I think I've seen it in Catholic you know, little apostolates. It's always about, we're going to have a prayer session. That's not how it works. We are all three things at this nanosecond. We are body, mind, and soul. And if I neglect any one of those three in speaking with you, I'm leaving something important out about you. So how does it work? Because people say to me, well, then how do you do this? What, what does this look like? And I'm going to give you an example. Um, I was working with an NFL wide receiver. He's running some routes. Uh, I'm throwing him these balls, and about the eighth or ninth ball, he drops a ball. And when he drops the ball, he lets out a really bad word. I won't repeat it, but trust me, it was a really bad word, okay? Uh, and he's stomping the ground, and I kind of look at him, and I said, what did you say? And again, he looks at me really kind of sheepishly, and he goes, well, you know, I, I dropped the ball. I said, I know you dropped the ball. I said, but what did you say? And he goes, well, you know, I, I, I dropped the ball. I said, thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> he, he, he looks at me like I've hit him over the head with a two-by-four, right? And, and he said, well, you know, why am I thanking Jesus? I said, first of all, he's Christian, right? I said, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all things. Didn't say be thankful in some things. said be thankful in all things. He goes, so I said, he goes, thank you, Jesus. I said, good, now come on back. You know, tell me what happened. Now, here's the problem. I don't know about you. If you teach anybody, you do anything. If you tell people things, there's a chance they might get it. If you ask what they know, you're going to know for sure what they know or what they don't know. And so I asked him, what happened? It's like a complete blackout. He has no idea what just happened. So I said to him, I'll tell you what happened. You didn't get your head around fast enough. So as he made his plant and he turned his head, he swept his head around. And when you sweep your head around, it takes time. And so as he swept it around, by the time it got around, by the way, everything blurs until your head stops. The ball was on top of him and went right through him, hit him in the helmet, actually. Okay. So I said to him, this is how fast you can turn your head. You're going to think I have a nervous tick. That's how fast you can turn your head. And when you turn your head that fast, you've just seen a ball 10 feet sooner. And if you see a ball 10 feet sooner, you have a really good chance of catching it. Because, by the way, these are world-class receivers. They don't drop balls because they can't catch. They drop ball for a very specific reason. But the problem is this. When he's out there kicking the ground and cursing, what doesn't he know? Why he dropped the ball. And it's called pride, by the way. Because I've got to show you how upset I am because I don't drop balls. I am so much better than this, okay? So the reason for the thank you, Jesus, first one's the higher argument. It's the virtue of gratitude. It's the right thing to do. It's how we should, it's what we should do. It's what we owe God. The second one's purely pragmatic. He's a world-class athlete. He wants to catch better. You got to know what you did. 
That's true of all of us in anything, mentally, physically, spiritually. If we are not aware of what we're doing, we have no chance of changing. You can hope maybe it happens, but it's most likely not going to happen for you. So this ability to know. So anyway, he runs out. He's running maybe eight, nine, ten more routes. He drops another ball. And I can see it. He is about to say that word again. But he looks back at me, and I go, yeah? And he goes, thank you, Jesus? I said, good, now come on back, right? <laughs> so he comes back, and I asked him what happened. He now tells me. He knows it. He goes, it's exactly what you said. I, I did not get my head around fast enough. I said, perfect. I didn't yell at him. didn't say terrible. You should have done this. You should have done that. Perfect. Because he knew what he did. And if you know what you do, you can eventually move to anything you want. By the end of the day, this guy is hardly dropping a ball. He could, he's making circus catches that could be on ESPN. And if he does drop one, he could be 50 yards away from me, and I'm hearing him scream at the top of his lungs, Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> and he means it. Now, why do I give you that example? I gave you that example because that is how a Catholic perspective of sport works. In that session, he became a better man physically, mentally, and spiritually. We sacrificed nothing. He became a better person. And that should be the intent of every single thing that we're doing. Um, so from a Catholic perspective, world-class performance and virtue are not mutually exclusive. I can't tell you how often I say that. People say, well, yeah, but we, we gotta have the best person. I mean, that, that's part of our problem right now in sport. The guy who shot somebody, but he's really, really good. You know, we, we got, <laughs> Maybe he didn't mean to shoot the person, you know? I mean, we're, we're, we, we rationalize. We're coming up with everything because he's so good. That's because our expectation is anything else goes as long as you're really good at this one skill that we happen to apprise right now. That's not how life works. That's not what we're called to, and that's not what Catholic understanding of something beyond the classroom like sport entails. So the amazing thought to consider about this is this, at least for me. Play, by the way, is sport. And every human being from the beginning of time has played. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I have. I've thought about why, do, why have people played? And from my standpoint, I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't a scholar. I got you. <laughs> um, I wasn't a scholar, right? So I, I started to read about this, and I looked into it, and I said, um, many who have contributed to, in the words of Matthew Arnold, the best the world has thought and said in the world, have written about the importance and place of play. And they include Socrates, who would have thought, right? Um, Socrates, I'll just read one. And it indeed is as shameful for man to grow old before he has tried his own strength and seen to what degree or dexterity of perfection he can attain, which he can never know if he gives himself over to uselessness, because dexterity and strength come not of themselves, but by practice and exercise. Plato, Socrates, Plato, Plato in 386 BC wrote, for he who changes the sports is secretly changing the manners of the young and making the old to be dishonored among them and the new to be honored. Aristotle, might as well hit the big three, right? Aristotle, as in the Olympic Games, it is not the most beautiful and the strongest that are crowned, but those who compete for some of these that, act, that, that are victorious. So those who act win and win rightly the noble and good things in life. He also says it is plain that boys should be first put under the care of different masters of gymnastic arts, both to form their bodies and teach them their exercises. Proverbs 8, wisdom played before God. I was God's delight day after day, playing before God all the time, playing in the world, in God's earth. My delight was with humankind. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, we all know that, right? Talks about his body being a temple. He also talks about running the race and trying to win the crown and us the imperishable one. 
But I love the phraseology that he uses, not only the, the shadow boxing and everything, but he says, no, I drive my body and I train it. Wow. Now, why is St. Paul talking about that? Because he's from Tarsus. And in Tarsus, there's a palestra where there's this Olympic-type training going on. He knows, he knows about sport, and he also knows that the people listening to him are going to understand what he's talking about and relate to it in some way. St. Anastasius uh, describes St. Anthony of the Desert as Christ athlete. St. Augustine, I'm just giving you part of his quote, as a boy, I played ball games. I don't picture St. Augustine playing ball games, you know, but St. Augustine played ball games. Okay, and he talks about, by the way, how sport was not properly directed and how he allowed pride to affect what he was doing. I go into St. Benedict, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis de Sales, the devout life. I mean, are you thinking St. Francis de Sales had anything to say about sport? So again, games of skill which exercise strength, body, or mind, such as tennis, rackets, running at the ring, chess, and the like, are in themselves both lawful and good. Only one must avoid excess either in the time given to them or the amount of interest they absorb. For if too much time be given to such things, they cease to be a recreation and become an occupation. And so far from resting and restoring body or mind, they have precisely the contrary effect. Blessed Cardinal John Henry Newman, for which the society, Cardinal Newman Society, is named after, he wrote about this. And again, some of these are too long for me to go into here, but he talked about that there are some intellectual exercises that, that are not liberal, but he says there are some that are body are liberal, and he talks again about referring to the Olympic Games and the palestra and other kinds of activities uh, in which strength and dexterity of body as well as of mind gain the prize. Pope Francis talks about it. Sport is a universal language which brings people closer. Therefore, Pope Francis continued, I encourage you to live the sports dimension as a training ground of virtue in the integral growth of individuals and communities. Play is like wisdom contemplation of the highest things done for its own sake and not for some mean or artificial end. Play and sport can lift our eyes to God. I think too often we are thinking, oh, it's only the grand, great cathedrals, uh, you know, where we walk into them, we're, we're in awe of them as we look up and contemplate God, or a beautiful natural scene like a, an ocean or a mountain of some kind. Sport has the same capacity to do that for us. Uh, there was a David Rhodesia who ran the uh, 2012 London Olympics, the half mile, he led from the beginning of the race, he finished it, and he won in the world record time of one minute and 40 seconds. Don't know if you know half mile times, that is extraordinary, okay? I could watch a loop of him running that race a million times and never get tired of it. The beauty of that man running, the form of his body, the strength, the courage, the perseverance, the focus, it was phenomenal and it made me think God made this man in his image and likeness. Sport has this capacity to raise us up and have us think about the highest things. We are made to play. Matter of fact, we are so wired to play that we will even pay to watch other people do it. <laughs> but when play is no longer done for its own sake, it ceases to be play and then becomes sometimes a selfish work. And I'm going to skip through some of this because I know my time is, is going to run out on me here. But I, I just want to make clear, when I talk about sport from a Catholic perspective, I'm talking about everything. And this would be true of any activity. A Catholic perspective is to look at the wholeness of it. So that means we're not just saying the spiritual aspect of sport. We're saying if you're Catholic and you say you really understand something, that means you understand biomechanics, exercise, physiology, medicine. You understand everything that could go into helping a human being to fulfill Matthew 25, 14 to 30, the doubling of the talents. Okay? We're, we take it all in. We give nothing up in, in terms of our approach. So if sport is properly directed then in the present moment, and uh, 
I'm going to maybe just share with you one other quote, if I can come up with it here. Um, I'm just going to sum up with this quote about sport. Uh, sport, properly directed, develops character, makes a man courageous, a generous loser, and a gracious victor. It refines the senses, gives intellectual penetration, and steals the will to endurance. It is not merely a physical development then. Sport rightly understood is an occupation of the whole man. And while perfecting the body is an instrument of the mind, it also makes the mind itself a more refined instrument for the search and communication of truth and helps man to achieve that end to which all others must be subservient, the service and praise of his creator. Wow. That is the mission statement for Catholic sport. And it is by Pope Pius XII of all people. July 29, 1945, an address he gave called Sport at the Service of the Spirit. That is what we are called to. So the mission and life of every sports activity at a faithfully Catholic college, that's it. And again, the education we're talking about here outside of the classroom entails everything that we're talking about here as we use sport as the example. Um, I'll, I'm kind of jumping down because, again, a time, and I have a little video I want to be able to show you. But I would start off with this. Um, by first immersing ourselves in what is worthiness itself, we also will have all the usefulness we could ever want. I could give you many great examples, but I'm only going to share one with you today. Now, Belmont College does not have the financial resources or the worldly reputation of a Harvard or Yale or Princeton or anybody else like that. But we graduate men and women, faithful men and women of excellence and virtue. All the activities of a Catholic college prepare students to be faithful and by the grace of God and their cooperation with it, achieve great things. Continuing with the sport example, at the Abbey, we have national champions. We have all Americans. We have record-setting student athletes. But they have much more than that, than just that athletic success because of the education and formation they have received at a faithful Catholic college. It is like the virtues. All of these activities beyond the classroom are integrated. The whole life of a Catholic college and the community there is integrated. These are not one-offs and separated. All of this makes us up. Um, Again, this is only one example of how any extracurricular activity at a Catholic college outside of the classroom, properly directed, can lead young people uh, to the fullness of the truth while surpassing the secular world's expectations of success. I hope that, and by the way, you know, we all know Mother Teresa said um, it's not about success, it's about being faithful, not successful, right? But if you, could you think of somebody more successful than Mother Teresa? You know, I, I mean, Nobel Prize. I mean, the whole world, you know, thought she was, the, you know, the most brilliant, lovely, you know, good person, right? She didn't set out for that, though. That was her whole point in saying that. She wasn't trying to be that. She was trying to be faithful, and then God used her in the way that he chose to, which resulted in all those things that came her way. So we don't have to do these at the, at the exclusion of these things. Just like money, power, fame. Nothing wrong with them. It's what we do with them. Are we, are they, they can be goods if we use them properly. And so I, I'll kind of leave you with that and hope that you, your family, and friends uh, will consider what I've shared with you today and that as you discern or recommend a college, think seriously this reputation thing. Think seriously about one of the colleges that you've read about in the Newman Guide. I mean, I, I think they're extraordinary places. I know the presidents of them very, very well. These are, these are incredibly dedicated, sacrificial individuals, and I think you'll find that true of their faculty and their staff, their coaches, whoever's there. They are participating in this. 
not only is it for your good and for the good of our children, our grandchildren, it's the right thing to do. So again, thank you all. Thanks for being here and God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.